0: We really can in everything, we can have plans for exactly how we think it should go. If you have an incredible desire to be a mom, like an intense desire to be uh, a parent, I really believe that you can be. It just might be a totally different situation, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to be head over heels in love. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to bond. It doesn't mean that you're not going to carry a legacy through your family if a child is not your DNA, or if a child comes later or comes differently than what you're expecting, Um, and that's okay. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith
1: and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 25. You know, something I've always desired for this podcast is to have open and honest conversations about the real experiences and struggles that... We just don't really talk about outwardly much, and don't get me wrong, not everything is for everybody, but I truly believe in the power of our stories and how hearing another person's story unbinds the lies that we are alone and defected and that what's happened to us didn't matter or is insignificant. It fills the void by creating a space for others to show up for their truth. And I really believe that this is a part of what the healing process looks like. That being said, I'm really hoping we can bring light to this as we are unpeeling the layers on the topic of infertility and all of the mix of emotions and grief and sadness, but also celebration that can come with that journey. Dealing with feelings that feel very juxtaposed to each other, that feel very opposite but still giving space for them to coexist. We're talking about the identity component and the messages that we internalize about ourselves when our body isn't functioning to the expectation that we hoped for how infertility and pregnancy complications really is a form of reoccurring and prolonged grief as you are faced with a suspended state of expectation each month these are all such real feelings to have a lot of times all we see are successful pregnancies and pregnancies that come to full term and do really well but the reality is there are complications that happen in pregnancies and there is often loss that doesn't get talked about as much but it exists And more women have wrestled through this than we may realize. So today we just really want to help give a voice and language to that experience and kind of pull back that veil of shame that is telling us that we are alone in this experience. And with that, I am so appreciative of today's guest who was so open and honest about approaching this topic with us. Alexandra Thompson is a licensed clinical social worker and the counseling director of Cumberland Counseling Services, a counseling practice inside of Cumberland Community Church just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. She's in the beginning stages of trying to integrate clinical counseling centers into every church in America. In addition, Alex and her husband have a precious baby boy named Anders whom they adopted at five days old. She's very open about the fact that she struggles with unexplained infertility, tried to get pregnant with her husband for three years before meeting their son, and has a huge heart for adoption advocacy. I really loved all of the things that Alex had to share, so I just want to jump right into it. Here is my conversation with Alex Thompson on navigating faith, mental health, and infertility. Hi, Alex. It's so great to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing?
0: Hi, Brittany. I am so excited to be on this podcast with you. I'm doing great. I love it.
1: So we have a pretty cool, I don't know, unique triangular way that we've met Mm -hmm. Um, and that we finally connected. And you were just kind of telling me the story of how you ran into me. And so what? why don't you share like what happened there?
0: Okay. This I this is so me. So if you like really want to get to know who I am at my heart, this explanation of how we ran into each other is exactly me. <laughs> um so probably, I don't know, three and a half years ago. Three and a half years ago, Brittany, wow. I was putting together a class for for my church called Faith and Mental Wellness, where I was trying to just uh, put it all out there on how these things intersect beautifully and how biblical they are when they intersect beautifully. Um, and so I thought that that was like a really creative way of of writing the title of the class, mm-hmm. Faith and Mental Wellness. You know, it's not like off-putting or anything. Um, so then I started researching who is already speaking on this because at the time I really didn't know um, and I found two people. I found Brittany Moses, who has a faith and mental wellness class. And I remember Brittany, I was wa- I was taking walks with you in my ears and you oh were like gosh. going on walks with me. I know we have a That's relationship. Amazing. Okay. I love this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also found um Robert Voer, who has another podcast. And um, you're in LA, but Robert, who speaks on his, his podcast, is called CXMH, yes. which is the church intersecting with mental health. And he happened to live in Decatur. Um, so when I figured that out, because I was like, listening to his podcast, and maybe following him on Facebook or something, or Instagram, I can't remember. But I noticed he said something about living in a city inside of atlantis so we were very close so i had this moment of like we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel we should be it, like relating with each other we yeah. should have some kind of professional friendship so we can kind of go into what we're trying to do together so i reached out we had coffee and now robert Vore is one of my therapists here at my counseling center and i am now speaking with you in person for the first time on your oh podcast. my gosh
1: i yeah. love <laughs> I always say God is in the details, like God yes. incidences this is so cool. I love that. I love that we shared long walks together. <laughs> yes, Brittany. You've been with me. <laughs> Unknowns to me, but I love this. And yeah. you're, just, you're such a light. And you have such an incredible story and just spirit um, mm. and everything that you share. And so I really can't wait for today's conversation, which I think is going to be so, so meaningful to so many mm. and so necessary. So, but before we get there... Why don't you tell those who are listening a little bit more about yourself leading to the work that you're doing today? I love the intersectionality of work you've Mm -hmm. been doing between faith and mental health.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's another interesting story. It's kind of a long story, so I'll keep it as brief as I can. Um, But when I was younger, like all the way up to high school, I was um, really expecting that I probably would be doing acting and dancing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I did my whole life. Um, Some kind of entertainment industry is what I expected. And um, it was when I was um, a senior in high school, I realized that f- there was this tug on my heart. I don't know. Like I wasn't in a church going family. That wasn't really part of our lifestyle. We'd go like on Christmas and Easter. Um, but but that was about right. it. And I started dating this person that I was um, kind of playing house with a little bit. And I realized as we were playing house at 17 years old, um, that he didn't want to go to church. Like he didn't want that to be a part of this, you know, could we get married one day fantasy. And I realized in in that season of my life how important that was to me. So then I we broke up and then I started going to church on my own. And that's really when I actually became a believer um, and realized that I've always had a real soft spot for God and understanding who he was in mm-hmm. my life. Um, and also a real like serious level of empathy for people in my life, um, in all like areas of my life, including my own parents and my own siblings and all of that. Like I was always just very tender hearted. Yeah. So it occurred to me after I became a Christian that, um, I, I'm not sure that I am cut out for entertainment. I think maybe that was more so like, my, my family's dream for me, but it wasn't, I, I'm really cut out for, uh, walking alongside people through tough times. Um, and that's when I looked into social work because it's so much like the field of social work. I'm an LCSW licensed clinical social worker. Mm -hmm. The field of social work is so robust. Um, and it's really an excellent, like you get an excellent therapeutic education through the field of clinical social work. So that's, how I got into that. Um, and my husband and I, we got married very young. Um, when I graduated with my master's and got licensed, I was working in the field of adoptions actually for several years. And then we ended up moving to New York city for a little while where I was working, doing a lot of play therapy in schools and stuff like that. And I really thought that's what I, uh, probably like, that's probably where I would land. Um, but then my husband got a job that moved us back to Atlanta a little prematurely. I wasn't quite ready to say goodbye to New York city, Mm -hmm. um, but it was such a good opportunity. We moved back and I'm the kind of person I just, I have to, I just needed a job. I I didn't matter at that point what it was. We were very young. I am the kind of person like I got my, I have to support my family, even though it was just me and him and I probably could have gone a little slower, but I just needed, to feel that I was contributing at that time and wanted a job for when we landed back in Atlanta. And that is when I got a job working in research at um, Emory School of Psychiatry. I was working um, in a research study on depression. And basically all I was doing was acting as a diagnostician and it was a very uncomfortable environment for me. If you have any conversation with me for any amount of time, I will refer to some research study I read, or something really interesting. But for the most part, I'm very intuition. Mm-hmm. I'm very relational. And at Emory, I absolutely could not be as I was diagnosing people to to see if they were compatible for our research study. But what that did was it made me extremely uncomfortable, uh, and it made me, I think, really good clinically in diagnosing. But during that time, because I was so uncomfortable, I reached out to my new church and I said, you know, I'm not really doing therapy right now, and that's my heart's work, and that's my clinical training, and that's what I want to do, but I'm not really doing that. Could I volunteer? Um, I don't know how that would work, but could I – do you guys have people who could meet with a therapist in your church that I could kind of take off your hands for you? And I think uh, in, you know, a breath of – a puff of air out of their mouth, they were like, yep, here's four. Right. Yeah. So I had, yeah, I'm sure – a full-time job and was volunteering with four, um, you know, clients at that time, put a little informed consent form, made a little intake form, like very, mm-hmm. you know, grassroots started that. And then I was just continuously so uncomfortable at Emory um, that I got a text message from one of the pastors just kind of randomly, hey, can you call me when you get a minute? Um, and I said back in that text, Sure does this have anything to do with you wanting me to start a clinical counseling center in your church? And he said, um, no, but maybe we'll <laughs> talk about that. And that's just putting that out there. there. Yeah, <laughs> just putting that out there because that's much you know, more what I'd rather be doing. And that is what started the like, I think it was another six months or something that we talked. Um, that's what started this clinical counseling center inside of my church here in Atlanta.
1: I love that so much. And
0: um, I even I can't
1: remember exactly who, but someone I think it was Steve Austin, who I had an interview with, was just talking about like, you know, the potential of a partnership of having a counselor or therapist housed in your church where maybe you house them to do their services there. And that will really help bridge that intersectionality for those who are at the church even just feeling more comfortable with the idea of
0: mental health and
1: destigmatizing. So I love that you're doing that and that you just did it in this grassroots way.
0: Mm -hmm. And you know what, Brittany, it's been so simple, for lack of a better word, because it certainly has not been simple. Nothing in therapy, I think, is simple. Um, And we have all of our, you know, ducks in a row and, and we're very ethical in how we do it. It's now, I started the counseling center. Now there are three counselors who work alongside me and they're all amazing. Robert Vore being one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, but we were able to do it kind of so efficiently and simply that I had, you know, I think God gave me this idea, like, why aren't we teaching every church in America how to do this? Because we really can't. And so that's what, I'm, I'm, you know, with what we're doing now, um, about to turn this into a nonprofit so that my whole job moving forward will then be meeting with churches and trying to get counseling centers in every church in America.
1: (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're gonna get right back to the conversation cause trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world, and as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health so what happens is when you sign up you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less and you can securely message your counselor anytime any day you know day or night and get replies within 24 to 48 hours BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the signup process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I love that so much. And I know that we've talked about having more conversations about this. And so you guys heard it here first. It's happening. We're putting (laughs) it out there. It's so needed. And um, I'm your girl. I'm with you, however I can be. (laughs) Love that. So, you know, not only have you been such a force for helping others overcome you know, the heart of their hurts, habits, and hangups. I feel like we're very kindred spirits, you know, and just Mm -hmm. your journey and explaining your heart and me being someone who is currently in research and loves it. The scientific aspect and everything of it Mm -hmm. and the deduction. I I love it. My brain could go around it for forever. But then I'm like you. I'm very much a relational person, you know, very much a therapeutic person one-on-one. Mm -hmm. And so even now I'm, I'm, I feel split brained sometimes and I also am trying to reckon the two together, you know, where it's like Mm -hmm. the clinical, but also the very intuitional and even trying to start by merging that in some of my writing. And so when you said that, it really spoke to me. It really resonated Mm -hmm. with me. I'm glad to hear (laughs) that. Yeah. But you know, you've also been willing to share more about the trials that come specifically with navigating the topic of infertility, um, which is what we're talking about today, which has been near and dear to your heart and Mm -hmm. we've talked about, I believe is so much more common than people realize. Yes. So I respect and appreciate your sharing and for those who don't know your story. What have been some of the realities of how your faith and mental health have intersected navigating the trials and journey of infertility? Oh, gosh. I know. That's- Loaded question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> feel free to good- start wherever you feel yeah, small,
0: however. <laughs> it's such a good question. And actually, it drew me back to a little bit of a like origin story with all of this because yeah you know, I want to speak very gently first to, um, you know, I got married very young and I married, um, the, maybe the greatest man on earth. And I think in his family, he was, um, he was also seen as that. So he was somebody who there was a lot of pressure on, um, And maybe there was or maybe there wasn't. Maybe some of this is my own narrative, but I can imagine there was a lot of pressure to who he would marry and that person would have to be really fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in the origin of me joining their family, I am not from a – they are like such an incredible family, incredible legacy, missionaries in Cuba for years and years and years. I mean just – an incredibly strong, oh, wow. uh, biblically based, beautiful family. And that's who my husband is through and through. And then here I come, this like little rough around the edges, didn't grow up in her, <laughs> you know, um, interested at the time in sex therapy and, you know, <laughs> like very not at all, I think, who they would have expected their son to fall in love with. Um, and so I carried a little bit of that. Like, I don't think that I, at this point, I don't think that I, have presented myself as like, you know, really why Ben fell in love with me so much because I'm kind of anxious around them and stuff like that. Mm, that um, makes so sense. I already, yeah, so I already um, struggled in the family a little bit with that just on my own. And we've talked about it a little bit, you know, me and Ben's precious mom, we actually talked through that a little bit recently. But Ben's younger brother married um recently, you know, just in a couple of years married this beautiful, talented, well-spoken, incredible woman who's who was very like what the family would have expected, you know, mm. re- a lovely person. Um and so here I am struggling with um okay, there's definitely a difference in how I came into the family versus how she came into the family. Um And then on top of that, they were married, you know, not even a year before announcing that they were pregnant and did it very gently, handled it really beautifully with me because they knew that at that time we had already been trying for three years and still not getting pregnant. They were very gentle about it. But I I had this, you know feeling kind of less than in the family, just getting married and then feeling less than in the family because now I can't produce a child and here she comes and she kind of has done everything really without any sweat, you know? Right. Um, and so during that time for me, um, I really leaned hard. I mean, hardest I've ever leaned into my faith in God Um Allowing him really to open up my chest and show me, I kept saying to my husband during this time, show me like little, this little monster that was in there that needed approval or needed to be, you know, the star or needed, I I don't know what exactly I needed, but God was showing me that I absolutely could not find those things in anyone else but him. And so he used that marriage and then he used the infertility to strengthen my faith, I think, beyond measure. Um, cause I, I really like leaned hard into his chest for him to just say like, yeah, this sucks. And I'm right there with you. And I take this as seriously as you do. Yeah. Uh, and I think if I hadn't had that faith in him to, you know, that he was taking this as seriously as I am, that he's grieving as hard as I am. And also this faith in this real person. And I'm saying, please look at me, like, tell me, how I can get closer to you and how I can actually move on and get through life um, just with you. I don't know how to do that. I need you to show me how to do that. And if I hadn't had my faith, I think I could have um, kind of coiled up into a little ball and stayed there for a lot longer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting and quite beautiful to think about how faith is kind of the, like it's what led you to lean in and almost yeah. like what kind of gave you permission to lean in, in a way.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And I think that's really great. And we'll talk about this later because you could have gone the complete other way where mm-hmm. it's just like, God, like, where are you? And, you know, yeah. and he's what did I do forsaken wrong? me and he, you know, <laughs> yeah. and all of those things. But instead you're like, okay, what, like, like you said, what is going on within me that I'm measuring myself by all of these markers and that I need to be approved of in this way, which are also like so human and so normal to feel (laughs) and have. And, um, and it's so interesting because like, I think you're just this beautiful person inside and out and, Mm -hmm. but yet how we compare ourselves in these individual ways, And so anyways, on that note, what would you say is normal to feel, normal to think, normal to struggle with while essentially being in this prolonged state of grief? Um, Because I think that can be very healing, just kind of normalizing those emotions that we often shame ourselves for having.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, Brittany, first of all, the way that you put that just now, <laughs> um, pr- prolonged state of grief that just spoke right to my heart. Cause I don't think people, unless you've gone through infertility or a crisis in your pregnancy or something like that, I, unless you've gone through that, I don't know that that really resonates in you. That infertility really is a month to month to month to month loss. Yeah of a child that could have been and that's how it was for me so that's how I'll speak to it I've never been pregnant I've never carried a child I can only imagine the heartbreak that that would bring Um, but gosh just putting it that way that's exactly how that feels and it's so normal to call it what it is Mm -hmm. which is grief and that you'll go through the stages of grief I for some of us every single month you go through it uh, and then, by the time you're kind of done with your stages of grief, <laughs> it starts all over again. You get right. your period again. You're not pregnant, you know, and you have to go through it again. Um, and I would just say that that is so normal. It's normal that we need to sit in that a little bit. That we, as women, are created, um, you know. And I, I'm I'm not even speaking at this point to men because men struggle with this too. It's it's heartbreaking for the men too. Yeah. You know? like, But from my perspective as a woman, a woman, we were created to carry, we're created with a womb, we're created, um, you know, for, with, with an idea that maybe, um, one day we'll give birth to a child and maybe one day that, that child will find nourishment from our own bodies, you know, so there's nothing that's not intense about those images. So the fact that we would have intense emotions like grief and loss associated with that, um, We can't take that lightly. I don't think God would take it lightly. I think anytime we have an opportunity to talk about, or I have an opportunity to talk about it with friends or or people in my life who haven't gone through infertility, and I kind of put it that way, um, they don't take it lightly. A lot of times they just kind of need to hear it sometimes because if they haven't gone through it, they don't really know what that's like for them personally. But gosh, we're created, Uh, our bodies, just the way that our bodies are created, we're created to carry life. And so when we, when we can't for one reason or another, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking and we carry it for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. And, um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that there can be this cycle of, don't want to say swings but just you know different emotional stages that you might go through in in a month and oh yeah I think what's so beautiful about the intersectionality of your life is that you know you you are someone who knows mental health you are you do therapy Mm -hmm. and and, you know in even though you know these things no one is immune from the human condition so it's not even like oh if you were only mentally stronger or more mentally stable or whatever like yeah then you would i don't know these expectations we have of ourselves of how we should be moving through grief just aren't real right and so i think that i appreciate you sharing like some of the realities of yeah and you and you can still have faith doing it you can be a strong person of faith you can be 100%. a strong person of mental health and still go through the motions of the human experience and that doesn't make you crazy or flawed or weak no. or needy or what have you it just makes you human and Absolutely. it would probably be more inhuman if you weren't going through those
0: things <laughs> exactly i i have this one this one very good friend of mine, she, um, so I adopted, I don't know that I've shared that yet. I, I, my husband and I adopted a precious, just when I look at him, the most beautiful ray of sunshine, he magical, beautiful. you
1: know, yeah. oh my
0: gosh. And he is smart and determined and, uh, you know, brave. He's just everything. Um, and I'm a little bit, if you spend any time with me, you'll know I'm a little bit obsessed with him and my husband <laughs> is too. Um, and I have a good friend. She she adopted a child born um, under similar circumstances and born into similar circumstances. And I can talk about that a little bit more if we if we have time. Yeah. Um, they were born a month apart. We live a couple of miles away, and so we we w- we were able to go through the infertility journey with each other. And also the adoption, you know, and all the heartbreak and joy and celebration that comes with that too. And just the other day, um, she texted me this long text. She's like, I just know you'll understand and I just want to put this out there that I was sitting at uh, a drive through of Chick-fil-A and I just lost it. I just started
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I just started thinking uh, out of nowhere, I am not going to get to carry a biological child. I'm in love with my son. But I'm not going to get to carry him. I'm not going to get to carry another child. And I, um, I just don't know who else I can talk to about that because even my own husband is sort of like, but you have Connor and, you know, we're doing great. And so just don't focus on any of that other stuff. Just avoid and run away, you know, and focus on the good stuff, which is what a lot of people right. say. Um, and what came to my mind when we were talking through this, and I felt so thankful that she shared that with me, was that prolonged grief feels a little bit like hiccups, if you will, like Mm. all of a sudden, I mean, you're fine. You're fine. You're in a dry, you're getting lunch, right? At Chick-fil-A. And all of a sudden you have something that immediately kind of halts you and draws your attention towards something that feels like heart spasms. Right. And we were talking through this, like, that's grief. That's what this feels like. I'm obsessed with my son. I love him celebrating how far he's come and celebrating just how brilliant he is, and all of that feels like an act of worship of God to yeah. me because I'm just so thrilled, you know, that God created such an incredible human. Yet I still grieve that we can't seem to figure out what's wrong with my body. And when we're thinking about baby number two, Anders, my son Anders is 14 months. And um, so now we're thinking about how far apart we want. Our kids, and you know should we start working on baby number two and stuff and still that grief is there that I may not be able to carry his brother or sister and she may not have nourishment from my body and all of that and I have the image of of magic in my hands when I look at my son do you see what I'm saying like yes we can have both we can grieve and celebrate and rejoice in the good things all at the same time
1: right it's like these feelings can coexist and feelings oftentimes do they do coexist even though they seem juxtaposed you know Mm -hmm. to each other they still exist in the same space and just allowing ourselves room to have all of them Mm because it's part of the human experience and so I'm so glad that you brought that up and another thing that you brought up that I would actually like to kind of peel the layers back on more
0: sure is
1: spe- you know more specifically for the women you know can we talk about the identity component wrapped yeah. around women's bodies and maternal oh. capabilities and how we can begin to have grace for ourselves when things don't go as planned like some of the beliefs women common commonly internalize because of her lived reality with you know pregnancy complications or infertility fertility because um This is something that I experienced, you know, just really Mm. briefly, like Austin was born premature. He was born at 29 weeks, 2 pounds, 9 ounces. And, Mm. you know, I've been labeled as high-risk pregnancy and just different complications. And you just feel like you internalize all of that into your identity. Like instead of, okay, my body is kind of, you know, maybe going through this process or whatever, or this happens, it's human. You're like, what's wrong with me? You know, yes. what's wrong with my body that this is happening to me? I almost this, I, I why am I defected kind mm-hmm. of thing? And maybe that is also the aspect you were kind of saying, like, you know, the, the husband might kind of be like, oh, but we have this baby, it's fine. It's like, but you don't understand. We internalize all these things about our yeah. bodies and our identity tied to our ability to like rear children and, and whatnot, especially when you've seen the family component that you were talking about earlier Mm. added to Mm -hmm. that kind of this image. Mm. Um, yeah. What are, what are some of those beliefs that we kind of internalize and how Mm. those go to work within us?
0: Yikes, Brittany. They can like, they can run wild. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and they can, yeah, absolutely. And I think I've probably overthought all of them, but Mm. for me, um, my biggest struggle was this idea of legacy. Like I spoke I spoke a little bit before about my husband just came from this incredible family, generations of missionaries and generations, you know, of um, just raising really excellent, grounded in their faith, beautiful people. Um, and then here I come, somebody who like, I want more than anything. And I used to sleep with a I used to sleep with a tiny, teeny, tiny little picture of my husband as a little boy next to my bed. No. Um, because to me, he has the most beautiful little like chubby eyelids. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's like <laughs> a kind of eye that's a little bit chubby. His grandpa had the same eye, you know, and I was just I'm so in love no. with my husband. So I had this huge idea of like, you know, and it'll definitely, our child will definitely look like him in this area and look like me in this area. Right. And, and they loved Ben. You know, Ben is such a peacemaker in his family, such a gentle man. Um, and I, here I am, like, I'll be able to bear his son or bear his daughter who looks like him and looks like me and has all the best qualities of both of us, you know. Right. That's family. what we do. Yeah. That's yeah, what we do. Yeah, naturally. Yep. And as a woman... Um. That yeah. That that strange term legacy kept spiraling around my head. Like I, the legacy of the Thompson DNA ends with me. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and y'all should also know. You know, I have my little cup of coffee here, so I can take a sip <laughs> when I need. Take mean, all the I'm, sips. I'm still in a journey of infertility because they can't figure out what's wrong with my body. You know, they can't figure out I'm just not getting pregnant. Um, And there's some other little bits and pieces in there. But that's so frustrating in and of itself that they can't figure out what's wrong. And yet that beautiful Thompson legacy kind of ends with me. You know, that's what the lie is um, that I carry around with me and that I had you know, during the three years of struggling with this, that, uh, that, you know, here I am rough around the edges, Alex, who has some other really beautiful qualities, but rough around the edges, not perfectly put together. Alex, uh, has halted that beautiful line of DNA. And that is so normal. I think that grief maybe Mm -hmm. that comes with that. I think women have lots of other grief, you know lots of other negative thoughts and things that really aren't <laughs> founded in truth um but that one was really mine uh cuz i wanted so i wanted to be a part of such a beautiful legacy or or like you know hi- history like creating good history through me you know right uh, and the point is really that that doesn't come from just blood it doesn't come from dna it comes from a cherished family and that's what we have. And, and Anders will absolutely continue that legacy of the Thompson (laughs) legacy, you know? Um, and then the last thing I'll say on that is, um, you know, and this is a tricky subject because Anders isn't old enough to give me consent to share his story. So I stumble with this. Um, I stumble because I don't want him to feel in any way ashamed of his story. Uh, because he, like I said, is determined and brilliant and doing so well, like even advanced in his class well, uh, his little daycare class. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, but it's still I'm still kind of struggling with. So if anybody has advice for what I should do, you know, but I want to share the story because I'm so proud of his story and what his story. And so I will um, because he's still so young and I'll I'll be very careful, mm-hmm. you know, as he continues to age. But his biological mother um, is and was homeless and addicted to everything, addicted to everything. Um, and so when he, when my son came into the world, he was born uh, dependent and had to wean in the hospital for, mm-hmm. for three weeks. And we got to, we met him at five days and we got to be with him during that journey. Um, and I think so many of us, if we go through the, if we're considering the adoption process, we're very like, we, but we, we're too scared to to consider this and we, we're we not sure how we would handle a child who has been exposed to drugs in utero and none of this and none of that. So it kind of has to be the perfect situation, you know, for a lot of us. And that is completely and totally okay. Um, the reason I want to share his story, though, is because of this beautiful point, I think, that my body as a woman designed and created to carry children, if that be my the desire of my heart and God's will... um is pretty much perfectly healthy and cannot carry a child. Mm-hmm. Whereas my son, Anders' biological mother, we call him, we call her his tummy mama was so ill and addicted. And she said, she just got on this bad path and couldn't get herself off the path. And here she is. She didn't want to get pregnant. She didn't want to keep the pregnancy. You know, it was very, very hard for her, this situation living on the street and, and being exposed to so much, yet her fragile, ill body created him. And that, like, I don't know if you see what I'm saying. It's my redemption. body- redemption. Oh my gosh, yeah. my body is perfectly fine and can't carry him. Her body was not and could, and that is God. And so when we, when we sit in the lie of, you know, my body should do this and I'm letting everyone down and I'm not carrying on carrying on the legacy. Like I encourage you to remember Anders story that he will do great, amazing things mm. uh, and was born to, um, to a, a really brave, brilliant woman. I got to meet her. She that was very special. Um, she was just very sick, you know, yeah. and is, and, and was carried almost to full term and, you know, did have to wean and that was very hard on him and very hard on our family, but is probably, and I'm sure every mother <laughs> at some point thinks about this, but could probably become the president of the United States. Hello. Like he is so fantastic, Aww, you know, I love um, it, and that's redemption and that is God. And so if you yeah. think that you, there is something wrong or you're broken, or you made a mistake early on in life, cause girl, I went through that. What did I do? Should I not have, you know, eaten the eaten package? Eat right or whatever. Right. Yeah, um, that just isn't true. None of that is true. Right. It's we come just up with all God's these will. reasons. Oh yeah, that we
1: want because be, like we want a reason so bad that we will try to find faults in ourselves because at least that would yeah. be explainable. Yeah. But it internalizes well, shame. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but if I can, it, you know. If maybe I didn't eat this, or maybe I was too stressed out, or maybe if I didn't, whatever, what exactly. have you, it's like yep. it's almost easier to accept that we did something wrong yeah. than to live with this unknown, you right. know. But yep. the truth is, like you said, there is this redemption in how God fits those unlikely pieces together and they're perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, There were two things that came to my mind as you're saying all this because I'm just sitting here with my coffee and absorbing it (laughs) because one is that like you articulate this so beautifully and so gracefully. It is so apparent that you have spent time processing this Mm. and doing the deep work of healing in the midst of grief to be at this place where i don't know where you're sharing these beautiful revelations and so Mm -hmm. i just kind of wanted to take the time to highlight like how beautiful the outcome can be in processing through everything and leaning in like you said and doing the internal work in spite of I mean, a very, just trivial circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love, I love everything that you're sharing. And I know that you've done a lot of work and processing to get to the place where you can openly share in this way um, mm. in all of your own processes. And I think that's just really a great testament to how someone who's listening who may feel very stuck can really come out to another side of this um, if they open themselves up to the process of healing and doing the work. Did you go through any therapy or anything like that? Yes.
0: Oh, so that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Because usually... I was about to say, (laughs) I was about to say, Brittany, thank you so much for that encouragement. And really, that means so much to hear. Um, But I 100% would not have gotten through it on my own, like in the being able to see it as the redemption as it is on my own. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, I met with a counselor where I am, and if you are counselors out there, I am the client where every time I sit on the couch, I just cry the whole time. It's yeah. just I, you know, purge. <laughs> I am keeping a lot together all the time, I think. So I just get in there and I cry. And I needed that. And I needed her to walk me through so good. that. Um, but then I also have two very important people who stand out to me. I have a, a good friend, Connor's mom. You remember Connor? The, um, the, she has an adopted son who's a, a month younger than mm-hmm. Anders. And we walked through infertility. And then now we're walking through adoption, born under similar circumstances. Um, she and I would get together frequently to just sit with each other over coffee and talk. And it wasn't a, um, you know, she was leading me and I was kind of seeking her guidance or that I was leading her and she, she was seeking my guidance. It was very much like, girl, this sucks. Girl, this is hard. Um, This is something that someone said to me. This is, you know, how my family responded when I tried to bring this up, you know, and it hurt so bad. And we feel so alone in this, and like it's really, no one's really going to understand unless they've gone through it together. And that was extremely important for my journey to have somebody who wasn't leading me. We were leading each other and we were just walking like hand in hand through the process with each other. Uh, Another person who was very like, vulnerable and genuine in the process, even talking about the stuff that you're not supposed to talk about, you know, yeah. uh, finances and all of that. Um, and then I had another friend who is is actually a bit older than me. She struggled to get pregnant for four years and she was kind of my leader. Like I would, we would sit and have coffee and she would say, all right, so this is the doctor I used. This is the, um, you know, tracking coach that I spoke with. Um, have you tried these supplements? Have you start, you know, have you read anything like this? Because when I did, it was so incredibly helpful. So it was really like I was her, like protege or something. I just kind of learned. I went to every one of her doctors. I did everything that she, tr- you know, that she had tried. Um, because I think I also just needed to be kind of held by a big sister who knew exactly yeah. how that where I wasn't leading her. I wasn't like giving her any support. She was giving all the support to me and totally understood. Um, And then she actually with another girl, she, they host a group called hopeful hearts, which is uh, for people struggling with infertility, women and men, and sometimes couples together. And, um, and they would just kind of talk and support each other. And that was my one way of being rebellious, I think through this. Cause I was like, no, I don't, I'm not, I don't want that group. You know, I don't want all of this. I just need a little bit here and there, but she also had that. And so many people would come very consistently. Um, and essentially what this community, like you, you can't do, you're not going to do it on your own. You're not going to be right. as healthy if you are trying to do this all on your own. And so what I'm speaking to is this community, Um, of people who have been there before you or have been there right alongside you, um, they are the ones that are going to be totally comfortable as you weep. And they're going to be the ones totally like bouncing off the walls when you send out your baby shower invitation or when you bring your baby home. They're going to be the ones doing the meal train for you and stuff. You cannot be alone in this. You have to have community so that people can mourn with you and so that people can celebrate with you
1: thank you so much for sharing that i was gonna ask you like some ways that have helped you cope and so i'm so glad that you brought up the topic of community and just the power of shared wisdom and shared stories and being tethered to one another because thoughts of shame just isolate us. They make, again, us feel defected and whatnot. But then being exposed to other people who, like you said, have gone before us or are going to the same thing really just deconstructs all that Mm -hmm. shame, Yeah, you know, and, um, and even just the practical side of helping with navigate resources. And I mean, just not going it alone, like you said, and finding those people, even if it starts with a therapist and then it branches out in some way um, yeah it was i'm I'm curious what would you say are some of the best places maybe for someone to look for finding other women or trying to find other women who have these experiences,
0: yeah. Uh, that's a really good question. I would start with, if you're already meeting with a, a a counselor or a therapist in some capacity, I would reach out to them and say, Hey, are you familiar with any groups on this topic? Cause I think, that's you know, good. if you if you guys hadn't yeah. talked about it yet saying, I think this would actually be a good supplement for me to be in a group because I don't have community. I don't have a infertility community around me. I think that's a good step. Um, and then if you're connected with a church, ask your church, um, is is there anything like this already going on? Or is there anybody that you know, like reach out to your pastor, get brave. I mean, that's how I'm on Brittany Moses's podcast. Oh my gosh. So funny. You're Brittany, let's be friends, you know, um, <laughs> reach out. And uh, say, well, do you know anybody at the church? Do you happen to know anyone who's also struggling? Because uh, chances are they do and they will connect you. And there you go, coffee date right there. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, face gr- fa- Facebook groups, things like that. But I think if you already are connected in a community in some sense, like a church or something like that, start there. Just reach out and say, does anyone know anyone? I mean, even if. Even if we have to have uh, Skype coffee dates, just get me connected with someone that that you know and can kind of vouch for, you know, would be uh, someone that I could maybe sit with and just kind of hold space for.
1: Amazing. Yeah, I love that's very practical and realistic, I think. Mm -hmm. So you'd be surprised how connected people are. Um, And so that reaching out and something else that you kind of touched on, which I think was really important was really like support capacity, like the capacity, like seeing and understanding the capacity at which different people can support you. Cause Mm -hmm. you might have the woman who's been there and who's farther along or the woman who's alongside with you and going through the same thing. Or you might have friends who maybe who don't know the experience and never had it, but they're still there for you. And then you might have some people who just don't get it. And so yeah. I think it's very important, like you're saying, to be able to recognize the capacity of support each person mm-hmm. kind of has in your life also so that we're not extending unrealistic expectations on people who may not be able to give the full capacity of support yeah. that we need and we know, okay, maybe this is a conversation for the therapist or for this person um, yes. so that... um, you know, because that can be disappointing. And I think Mm -hmm. you really recognize that. And I wanted to kind of pull that out of what you said, because I think that's really important.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we're so much more connected. I mean, it really, it's a cliche, but it's so true that the world is such a small place, you know, and if we, if we just reach out, Uh, and say, hey, do you know anyone? I mean, that's how people have been finding apartments and finding jobs forever. You know, why not find, um, sweet, maybe even lifelong friends through just reaching out to your neighbor to say, do you know anyone or your pastor? Do you know anyone? And there you go. Boom. Like probably lifelong friends, you know,
1: it makes me think of that research. Um, that, well, that experiment by, um, Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name now, but he said that we're about how we're really only like six connections away. And Milgram, uh, Milgram. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so he sent he would send a letter to people and they would have to mail it, get it to oh my gosh, some type of sales representative or something. I am just totally messing up this study. <laughs> but like they had to get it to a pers- a specific person. Mm-hmm. And he tested to see how many how many steps it would take for some random person in that state to get the letter to this person. And on average, it was like – on average, it was like just six steps away where That's someone amazing. knew someone who knew someone who eventually yeah. it got there. And yeah. so I think the highlight of that study was just that we are actually – uh, more closely connected than mm-hmm. we realize when we do reach out like somebody mm-hmm. genuine tends to know somebody who can connect you in the space and so using those natural resources that are around you and not underestimating mm-hmm. um how people are connected and how people can be resourceful in that journey
0: yeah I don't know um, it just made me think of that <laughs> I think that's so good. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even say my, you know, the the heartbreak that I went through yeah. just all internally, you know, a lot of my own narrative probably with my family and, um, you know, welcoming my sweet uh, sister-in-law into the family. I will say, um, you know, she has had her own grief. It's just not infertility. And mm. so we can also kind of bond through that. Um, and she, like I, I'm pretty sure I said before, she was so incredibly gracious in how she delivered that news of her being pregnant uh, to, to me and to my husband. Uh, they both did. My, my husband's brother as well. But I think she could do that because she had experienced her own prolonged grief and right. something else prior to that. Um, and so she just handled that so beautifully. But what she also did was opened up like she will never she is not going to experience that grief that I experienced. But she one of her best friends like lifelong friends uh, is and probably even is going through through it way worse than I am because she has had multiple rounds of IVF that have failed multiple surgeries. I mean, she just this Mm. friend of my sister in law has just gone through so much heartbreak. And so my sister-in-law and I, we can sit and have coffee or a glass of wine or whatever and we can talk through, even though it's not my sister-in-law's grief, it's her best friend's grief and she can kind of get it through that. Um, Yeah. And even that kind of makes the world a little bit smaller. If you're just willing to be vulnerable, if you're willing at the right time and in safe situations with safe people, you have Mm -hmm. to know they're safe, Um, if you're just willing to speak to your grief and to your longing and what you've been going through, um, you know, it will even open you up. So now I'm connected with her friend a little bit, mostly, you know, just through social media, but now we can kind of track each other. And when she has victories, this friend of my sister in law, when she has victories or when she has con- kind of some obvious more heartbreak, and I know her story, so I know that that's probably what she's referring to kind of thing, then we can talk through social media that we have each other's backs and that we're supporting each other. And that came through my precious sister-in-law who isn't experiencing that grief, you know, so we really are just so connected if we allow ourselves to be, and that's kind of the hard part, you know, I think that's really beautiful. And it kind of leads me into this
1: question because, you know, like you were saying, sometimes it can be easy to just take things at face value with, with people and, um, you know, kind of where it looked like she kind of had this effortless pregnancy
0: and Mm -hmm.
1: here you are like trying and and, and struggling. And so, but yet, she had this other form of grief that she she resonated with. And so Mm -hmm.
0: she knows what waiting feels like, but in in a
1: different way. And so that being said, just kind of along the lines of comparison, because I think this is very honest and real, you know, what can help with, what can help, you know, the woman who is struggling with infertility, what can help with the highlighted grief or even envy or comparison that may come with seasons of witnessing those around them conceived to full term where it looks perfect and effortless and kind of everything that you want, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I mean, and that just natural comparison that takes place, like what helps soothe over that
0: well that's it i mean these questions Brittany, you're killing it oh um, I, I just want to be real
1: because i'm like <laughs> i know this is what's going on and if yeah, nobody sure. else is hearing anyone else talk about it we're we're gonna talk about it here you know we're talking about it yeah yeah
0: so what came to my mind when you said that um was the image of me getting something in the mail that I'm excited to get because it has my name on it, you know, and it's cute and it's probably something just right. for me and it's cute. And I open up that mail, that envelope, and it's another baby shower invitation. Mm. Um, and I know I already knew that she was pregnant. Like there's already been a Facebook announcement and we're close. That's why I'm being invited to the shower, you know, right. but I get it. And it's that invitation. That's what came to mind when you said that. What do you do in those moments? Right. And so for me, when I think about the, gosh, another baby shower, gosh, another Facebook announcement, um, you know, things like that. Another hiccup, like you were another earlier. Another hiccup. Yes, exactly. What I do in those moments, and I'm telling you almost every time, it's almost like I it's slow motion for me. I take it out. I know instantly what it is and I look at it. I look at the invitation. I look at top, I look at it top to bottom. I read all the information. And I think now that I'm thinking about it now, what I'm probably doing is longing for my, uh, you know, because with adoption, I didn't get to have the baby showers, um, you know, that like kind of the normal baby shower situation, because we didn't know when the baby was coming or what gender or what age at that time and things like that. So it was very different. Plus, people were like, what do you do? You know, you're not pregnant. I I can't see anything. Um, so I think probably what I'm doing is I'm looking at this information, just longing for it to be mine someday. Um, which brings, I mean, even right now, Brittany brings on, uh, yeah, usually sadness. Um, and I'll sit and almost like let myself feel whatever I need to feel as I'm doing almost like a mindfulness mm-hmm. exercise of just reading every line really slowly, like in slow motion, thinking about the day when maybe, and who knows, it'll be my second child, but like the day when maybe I'll get to send out one of these or my best friend will send out one for me. Um and then I put it down and I cry if I need to and I weep if I need to. Like I'm not – there's nothing pretty happening here. Right. Um, I guess I'm usually alone when I get these in the mail. Um, and then after I think I've like allowed myself to feel in a hiccup moment, so I don't crawl into bed usually or anything like that. It's okay if you need to, but that's just not how I tend to do it in that hiccup moment. And then I go and I, I pin it to my fridge and I smile at it, and it's almost like I um, walk myself through what it might feel like if I was happy, like if I was excited for them. And the hard part about that is that I am genuinely <clears throat> very excited for them. Uh, I, I And so that's that's an important thing too, to recognize that you can be very excited for someone and, um, excited for their like life journey and for the good things happening in their life, uh, while being sad that it's not happening in your own life. And it doesn't mean you're a villain or that there's right. something That's wrong good. with you or anything. Good point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so important to know that just because you, you, you don't feel immediately happy for that person in the moment. Um, I'm trying to figure out exactly how I'm trying to say this, Brittany. Yeah, I know what you're Um, saying and I think it's really
1: important. Yeah. Yeah, like just because you feel that's something that you want, which is natural and Mm -hmm. like it might bring sadness or grief that doesn't make you – someone who like that doesn't make like you said I think was perfect it doesn't make you a villain it doesn't make you like anti them or anti their baby or it doesn't make them the enemy or you the enemy as much as our shame would have us
0: believe because it always wants to confine us into Mm -hmm. this or that and make you and make you feel like the scum of the earth that's what shame does so if you're not opening this and really happy for your you know good friend who's having this baby shower it it doesn't mean that you don't want good things for your friend. It right. means you also want good things for you. And gosh, isn't that the image of being a healthy person? That you right. want good things for you? You know, that you – like in, in some sense that shows that, that you value yourself and you see your own value in that. That Absolutely. you deserve good special things too. And so, I, you know, that, I think that was the point. <laughs> and thank you for helping me get there. Yes. That, um, I, when you were saying it,
1: I – I felt and knew exactly where Mm. you were going. And I think it it really goes back to this theme that we've been having kind of throughout this conversation of allowing feelings to coexist.
0: Um, Like
1: another thing that shame does is like we have all these shoulds of like how we should be moving through a process. But really like what are the measures for how you should be like wading through uncharted waters? And it's just like however – you process through it that helps you, mm-hmm. that helps you get through it. You know, obviously, as long as it doesn't result to, you know, something extremely self-destructive right.
0: um, or others destructive. We don't want to do that.
1: Destructive, yeah. Then yeah. it's like allow yourself the grace to process the way that you're processing, you know, and I love yeah. that, And I think that you like, Allowing yourself to feel, like you said, and to get it to look over it to slow-mo kind of and grieve it
0: and mm-hmm. feel like by you. In that
1: instance. Yeah. And allowing yourself to grieve it also creates the space for you to also feel joy for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather which, than penting it up, which I think is right. so
0: healthy and important. Yeah. And it's there, that joy and that excitement from my friends who are pregnant all around me, by the way.
1: <laughs> right. Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: We're in childbearing age, right? Um, I, the joy is there. The excitement is there. But but being optimistic or being positive just for positive sake isn't actually healing. It can right. be like what, speaking to what you're saying, it can actually be detrimental when we're avoiding our emotions in such a way, when we're avoiding life by just saying like, "Oh, good for them, yay!" I mean, I'm, you know, gonna put it on my calendar it's right now. Overcompensating. You know, yeah, that's yeah. not actually helpful. And there is some of that in society. Like, you just need to speak positive things, and if you can name it, you can claim it. You know, and yeah,
1: I I, I tend not to be in that school. of thought. Yeah, just
0: like feel it. It's real. It's yes. there for a reason. Right. Exactly. And there is so much research behind positive thinking. Seriously. Like, I'm not going to deny that. But positive thinking does not produce uh, a baby, you know, and things like that. By itself.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: So grieving uh, in that moment and then allowing myself to kind of like a train, like a train moves very slowly at the beginning and then goes strong, almost effortlessly. It goes strong for miles and miles and miles. That's kind of what I do. My my train stops. I cry. I grieve. I put it on the fridge, you know. Maybe touch it for a moment or something. Like I give it one last little sad uh, thought. And then I start practicing within myself what it would look like, what I would do, how I would feel if I was excited in that moment. And then suddenly my train starts to go faster and it's a little bit easier for me to grasp that emotion that's deeper inside me because the grief is a little bit more on the surface. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's just a little deeper down. So practicing that helps me get there after grieving and actually feeling, you know, my real feelings in the moment.
1: Yeah, what a great analogy. I think this is going to be so freeing for a lot of people because as women, we just don't talk about, I mean, I feel like pregnancy in general unless it's kind of going well. Right. Like I feel like pregnancy is only talked about when it's going well, which is understandable because like as we're grieving, not everything is meant to be open and all access to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes as a community of women, so to speak, um, it can isolate us into these, even these little experiences, like you said, of receiving that letter in the mail, you know, and it's just like, I think just opening up the floor as we're having this conversation that complicated pregnancies and this happens so often. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of these feelings and, um, just as a community of women being united in that and supported in that. And so my next question is, you know, where might faith play a role in the suffering of a woman who feels like God has forsaken her and not answering her prayers, like to where this creates more of a faith crisis, um, Mm. Because it's like, God, I'm praying for these things. And this is the other thing that we get as believers. Like, I'm doing everything right, right? I love yeah. you. I yeah. serve you. I've kind of checked yep. off all the boxes. And yeah. I'm believing. And I'm surrendering. And, you know, like, why are you denying me this? And maybe feeling more like God really isn't there. Because if he cared, he would really care about what i care about that's Mm. kind of the thought and so yeah so how does how does faith play a role in kind of bridging those paradoxes Mm -hmm. that feels so real maybe from your from your own experiences like what led you to actually lean in more
0: yeah oh that's a really good question um (laughs) What the question? What how? Why did I lean in more? Gosh, I don't know. I think yeah, the Holy, the Holy Spirit doing it for me right. probably. No, that's really um, true. Yeah, sometimes but sometimes
1: it's like beyond what you could, um, beyond what you could ask or imagine. Sometimes it's just God, like God's grace. Oh yeah, doing it, and it's like yeah. I don't even know if that was me.
0: Oh, but somehow yeah. we got here. <laughs> somehow we got here. I think it is a yeah it is a yes that and like it's a yeah. yes and thing. it is always God's grace. it's always I think the Holy Spirit acting and moving in us and at the same time it is also us yeah um and so what came to mind I think immediately as you were asking that was the image of a father um that I have with my heavenly Father like that is when I think of faith, I just think of my relationship with my with my father, my heavenly Father. And I think about how any good father would want us to know how good he is, how trustworthy he is, how much he is in our corner, how much he loves us, how much he thinks of us, um, hurts when we hurt. You know, that's that's an image of a good father. While at the same time, that good father wants us, like, almost has to demand that we also experience hurt because we have to know also how strong we are and how dependable we are. And I know that this can teeter on a little bit of a cliche answer, Mm -hmm, and I I don't mean for that to sound cliche. And if you're in the middle of your heavy grief, girl, I I mean, you know, you can – Turn away and roll your eyes. I, I would be doing that too, probably, if I was right in the in the middle of it. But what I can see so much now is that God is trying to show me, oh my gosh, he's in my corner. He is taking this as seriously as I am. He's grieving with me every month when I find out that I'm not pregnant. <laughs> he is um, He's taking it s- as seriously as I am. Um, he is grieving every single month. When I find out that I don't, that I'm not pregnant that month, right alongside me, he is so real in that. Um, he, so he, like, I get this image of me kind of putting my forehead against his chest and kind of in an aggressive way, like, I need you to hold me, but I'm also mad at you, you know?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and at this, like, and he gets it, like, this is not a cool situation. He did design my body to be able to carry a child. And it is, um, There is grief in that when the fall happened, it broke everything. It broke even our biology and made, you know, uh, it, it brought sin into the world, but it also broke a lot of things. And so things aren't going to work, uh, the way that they were originally designed to work. And I think that grieves God too. He's fully in control. Um, but he's, I think also an emotional God as well and feels the grief that we feel that this thing that I want so badly, you know, um, I'm not experiencing in a biological way yet and that's okay. And at the same time, he as a good father wants me to know that I am capable of getting through tragedy, tragedy. I'm able to get through tremendous grief day in and day out. I'm able to even lift others up and have coffee and share my journey and encourage them, you know, um, because, because I'm that strong and because he created me to be that strong. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think the faith component has been for me. I have seen, and I'll tell you, like this just came to my mind, all the medical appointments and medical procedures and invasive, you know, crazy things that we have to go through when, when we're trying to figure out what's causing the infertility, I remember Lying on a table, getting an HSG, and ladies, like, if y'all have experienced infertility, you know exactly what that is. It's extremely invasive. It's where they put dye through your fallopian tubes, but you have to, like, lift your hips up while they're doing it, and then you have to move your hips and stuff. It's very weird and and very uncomfortable. And they're doing it while they're X-raying you because they're trying to make sure your fallopian tubes are clear. Right. That makes sense. I remember getting off that table, like, really invaded, really a little crampy, you know, uncomfortable and getting dressed and like cleaning myself up and stuff and getting myself in the car and driving home with Ariana Grande blasting, which is what (laughs) I I cope with Ariana Grande. Um, and feeling like such a freaking woman. Like I can experience, and I know ladies who have, Mm. uh, who have been pregnant and delivered children that does not even compare the tiniest bit to delivery. But for me, It was the taste of how strong I am, what I'm willing to do for a child that doesn't even exist yet. You know, that I just felt like such a woman and I felt so empowered in that moment. And then with all the surgeries and stuff that I had later on, same thing. I was in pain and didn't even really complain about the pain because I was like, this is for my kid. I don't care. Give it to me. Give me the pain um, if I get to meet my kid, you know. And I think that is a good father, a good dad uh, wants you to know how powerful and strong and brave and capable he is as your dad and also how equipped you are in yourself to be able to get yourself through tough things. You know, we we need to know both of that. And a good father would teach us that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what you're speaking to as resilience is just really amazing about how yeah there is this there's like this one side of it where it 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 feels like such a terrible experience and it is you know in reality but like there is this other side of discovering how far you can go kind of beyond capabilities of yourself than you ever would have imagined or knew existed that you could go that far in resilience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how it does kind of build this strength and this confidence of like i can overcome anything (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i've been through this my body went through this and i walked out with the wall. the walls came down and i walked out and i'm still here like i'm still here absolutely yeah and not saying that like that is god's purpose you know that you're going through infertility just to experience strength. But I think that's certainly part of it. Sure. And I think that's um I just think women are just so strong. Like our I bodies do. I are say that all like the time. and it's I mean, it's interesting because we were talking earlier about how like my body is, is perfect, but it just can't carry a baby. And it's like looking at this though, so like I mean, your body is really so strong in going yeah. through all of these things and it just shows yeah. how like strong and actually perfectly capable it it is in spite you know Mm -hmm. the yes and and so I think that's really amazing
0: and I was thinking Brittany about your body carrying a child you know and and like all the ladies out there who aren't struggling with infertility but have actually had pregnancies or who are in the midst of that now um, how incredibly strong your body is. And like, I was thinking that's probably how they feel when they have, when they give birth. They're like, I am a freaking woman. Like, I could go through all this and, you know, uh, carry <laughs> I can life go through this.
1: anything after I can go labor. through
0: anything. Right. <laughs> Thank exactly. you so much for
1: saying that. Because like I told you earlier, I had complications. And yeah. so at first it was like, what's wrong with me? But then looking back, you're like, mm. no, actually, it was really strong for making it through that. And yeah. so, um, yeah. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh my gosh. For sharing all of this. Um, what is one, you know, what is one piece of encouragement or advice or words of support, what have you, that you'd like to leave with a woman or a couple who's listening to this and currently feeling overtaken by the grief and disappointments of trying to plan a family? Mm. Is there anything that you know that maybe you wish you would have heard or needed to hear, um, previously that
0: you'd like to leave.
1: Yeah, you're like there's probably so many things, but there are so yeah. many
0: things. And what came to my the first thing that popped into my mind that tends to be what I kind of follow, you know. And so I'm, I'm this is what I'm going to speak to. Um, my husband and I you know like I said I was in the field of adoptions for a long time so and Ben and I got married pretty young so we have had a long time of talking about what we want our family to look like and maybe that would include adoption that was well before we learned that I at this point can't carry a child adoption was always kind of maybe a part of that mm-hmm. um and then this just kind of you know my infertility at least at this point kind of pushed us along in that um, and I am telling you, I had a vision, <laughs> oh gosh, and this might sound so weird. So please hear my heart and give me grace if this speaks Absolutely. weird to you. Um, but I had a vision as we were starting our adoption journey that we would be adopting a darker skin baby girl. Um, and I had, you know, I had a friend who's an artist, uh, and he painted this beautiful picture of a darker skinned girl. Mm-hmm. She's wearing a braid. You can see her, uh, her profile. And to me, I would weep when I would see that because I would go, that's my daughter on her wedding day. I know that it is. Yeah. Um, I really, in my heart of hearts believed that through adoption, we would be, our family would be two, you know, white folks with a, a girl, <laughs> a little girl, um, who had darker skin than us, whatever that meant. And uh, so Ben and I threw ourselves into um, researching how to take care of hair that was different from our skin that might have been a little different from ours, uh, transracial, like, you know, things might come up in our family that we want to make sure we're treating very delicately and also uh, being very empowering about and all. I mean, we researched, we (laughs) ate everything we could on the topic because we were so convinced that's what God was going to give us. Yeah. Yeah. this diverse in, in a visual family. And I remember a couple of months before meeting my son, I had a dream where I was cross-legged in in my bed and I was holding him like in nursing, like in a cradle. I wasn't nursing the baby in my dream, but I was like cradling the baby cross-legged in my bed. And I could feel in the dream radiating love for this baby, just mm. absolutely head over heels in love with this baby. But the baby in the dream, and I, I didn't even, ca- i not one thought care in my head, the baby was a toucan, like an actual toucan in the dream. Hmm. And when I woke up and thought about that, and again, I was radiating love for this baby who just happened to be a toucan. When I woke up and processed that with God, what the heck did that dream mean? I think what God was telling me at that time was, you are going to be incredibly in love with your child, and you are going to be a fantastic mother, but it is not going to be what you expected, because it's a toucan in the dream, right. right? I had this very like crystal clear image of who I thought it would be, and in my dream, it's a toucan, and that was God's way of saying, um, you can plan all you want, you are going to be a phenomenal mom, and you're going to be incredibly in love with your child, it just isn't going to be exactly what you expected. And so when we met our son, who looks exactly like us, who was <laughs> dependent, you know, absolutely, totally the opposite of everything we were expecting, um, we kind of went back to, he's our toucan. He has a toucan in his room. You know, he's our toucan. And so I think what came to my mind to encourage y'all who might be struggling right now is We really can in everything. We can have plans for exactly how we think it should go. Um, But maybe you have a toucan coming. If you have an incredible desire to be a mom, like an intense desire to be uh, a parent, I really believe that you can be it just may be a toucan. It might be a totally different situation, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to be head over heels in love. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to bond. It doesn't mean that you're not going to carry a legacy through your family if a child is not your DNA or if a child comes later or comes differently than what you're expecting. Um, And so maybe that's the encouragement in a weird way. Like you might, it might be a toucan and, And that's okay. And toucans are beautiful. (laughs) Um, Maybe expect your toucan that it'll just be a little bit different than you originally imagined.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, it's so funny when you said the dream, my first thought was, okay, you're going to have a baby, but it's not going to be what you imagined. And like, Mm -hmm. that makes so much sense. And, you know, also showing kind of the love of God of, you know, with these kind of, little god hints that he is still there along the way yeah you know in this say in this dream and um just also the power of i'm trying to say this sensitively (laughs) Mm. um the power of adjusted expectations i think yeah i think because i think sometimes what also holds us So deeply into grief is we're holding on to these expectations that we had and these Mm. plans that we have, you know, and then when you get to that stage where you can make the shift and say, okay, this is my, this, you know, it's going to, this is going to be different and this is my Mm. new normal. Like this Mm -hmm. is my new normal and redefining what the new normal is for you and fully embracing and accepting it, not meaning you know, the loss of what you expected completely goes away, but make how powerful in healing and redeeming the step of making that, even just Mm -hmm. that mental adjustment. It can be so mental or even it's mental, but then your heart hasn't caught up and even Mm -hmm. allowing the time for your mind and your heart to catch up in renewing those expectations. But that as seen in your, in your own journey that it does all come together. And I think that that is the redemption, all of this. And so um, thank you so much. This has Mm -hmm. been a truly deeply wonderful conversation. And I appreciate your willingness to share all of this. And I'm so grateful to God for the work that you've done up to this point to where you are at a, place where it can reach back and kind of set others free which Mm. is what he does isn't it
0: yes absolutely and likewise to you Brittany you've done a lot of work yourself you've gone through a lot of grief yourself thank you for for what you're doing in this thank you so much and now
1: we're like thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you you, you." I know I know (laughs) after you no after No, after you no you go. yeah so great Thanks guys for listening. Be sure to, you know, if you guys have any comments, questions, or feedback about this episode, you know, be sure to leave, uh, you know, a review or, you know, reach out to any one of us on social media. I'm sure we would love to hear your thoughts around this episode. It's always so encouraging for us also in refining the work that we're doing, um, in the lives of others. So Thanks for sticking with us. Until next time.